This is episode 111 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are EMP Survival 101, The Basic Emergency Plan, The Foundation of Preparedness, and Seven Reasons to Bug Out in the First Wave. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Just a couple of things before we get started. Uh, I saw that um, a friend of mine, Tim Gamble, who runs TimGamble.com, is uh, he's always had a Patriot's Prayer that he's always put out and uh, every week. And uh, I saw that uh, Saturday that this is going to be his last one. And so it used to be a written one. I used to link to it on uh, Prepper Church uh, every Monday I would li- or Sunday night, Monday, I would link to it. Uh, then he went to a, a spoken version, like a YouTube version of it. And so I noticed that it's his last version or his last edition. And, uh, you know, part of it is just because, you know, there's not a lot of interest in it and people aren't going to it. And I know what it's like about you know getting things together and putting things together and and putting it out there and not just having a lot of interest in it. Sometimes eventually it feels like me. You know why am I doing all this for? So, uh, but anyway, uh, he did mention that maybe later on down the road he might bring it back. But if uh, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, so maybe you'll you can go over there and kind of check it out. Um, some of his old prayers are going to be there. You might be interested in those. Uh, and uh, you can let him know, hey, so if you do bring it back, uh, I, I, I might be interested in it. You might not have ever heard of it before. But like I said, I used to link to it on Prepper Church, and then when uh, and I just got so busy that Prepper Church, I've kind of really l- neglected that. I'm not going to renew the hosting on that, although I'm going to bring uh, some of those articles over to Ed That Matters. But anyway, uh, I'll link to that, uh, timgamble.com, and it's Patriot's Prayer, uh, so you can go check that out. I want to give a quick shout out to Jamie for sending me just some uh, words of encouragement on Facebook. Really appreciate that. Know that you're listening uh, to the Prepper Website Podcast. It's always uh, a benefit. And today is the last day to, uh, or Monday night uh, at midnight, will be the last time that you can take advantage of uh, the Sun Oven deal. If you were thinking about that, you're interested in that, uh, you, can go, you can go and uh, you know, click on that. It was a big savings. I've heard from people talk about the Sun Oven, uh, how uh, you know how they really like it and how they uh, they've had it for years and it's really uh, been a blessing and really has held up. So uh, you know it's a quality product. So if you've been on the fence, you might want to go check that out. I'll, I'll link to it again, and you can go uh, see if that's something you want to uh, put some money behind. All right, our first article is going to be a long one. Uh, it comes to us from Modern Survival Online. I almost uh, didn't do three articles to, tonight or today. I, I almost just stuck with two, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and do three. Uh, this first one, again, EMP Survival 101, is a, it's a long one. And the reason I'm, I'm going to kind of focus on this one is because, and, and if you are part of the mailing list, you'll get an email. I mean, maybe by the time you're listening to this, you're, you've already gotten it. Uh, but you'll get an email uh, that, uh, you know, there was a kill shot. Uh, out of the sun. Uh, luckily, it didn't come our way. It went the opposite way of Earth. But um, you'll get that. And uh, I'm also going to throw that up on Ed That Matters a little bit later on uh, Monday uh, after the the email goes out and all that kind of stuff. And I'm linking to 
some things that might be of interest. And I've told you about uh, that Suspicious Observers app that I have. Uh, I think I said it was $3.99. It's only $2.99, and it's well worth it. Talk a little bit about that. And um, But uh, just thinking about, you know, when I read that this morning, uh, and of course I'm recording this Sunday night, when I read it Sunday morning, uh, and I was kind of like in between getting ready for church and, and you know, finishing up uh, uh, my slides and stuff, uh, I saw that and I was like, wow, you know, uh, am I really prepared for the for the big one, right? I don't think you can ever be truly prepared. Uh, I, I guess really more what I was thinking about is like, what would I do? I mean, what exactly, um, you know, what are my plans? Have I nailed down the actual plans that I would put in place? I mean, I've run through them a lot. I know, uh, I know kind of like what I would want to do. But could I, in in uh, my mind, and then uh, be able to relate that to my family about the plans that we need to move, uh, you know, and and to get going? And uh, there is uh, another again the other article that we're going to be talking about is a basic emergency plan, and so you know that might be something that you need to just kind of sit down and, and talk about it. Uh, and I have talked about it with my family before about what to do and where we we would be, but. I'm talking more, I guess, uh, along the lines of just solidifying it, you know, just just uh, getting to that point where, you, without a shadow of a doubt, everybody knows what's what's happening, what's going on. So anyway, uh, that's why uh, this is kind of a interesting article for me right now. Uh, after watching that, it might be after uh, you know after you listen to the podcast, you go if you're um, like I said, if you're on the email list, you'll you'll get it in your email. If not. Uh, it'll be on Ed That Matters a little bit later on uh, on Monday afternoon. All right, so let's go ahead and read this one, EMP Survival 101. All of our lives would be drastically impacted if either a man-made or natural EMP disaster happened. It would not take weeks or even months to repair the power grid and all aspects of modern life, but years. If the vital piece of United States infrastructure goes down, we would awake in an entirely different version of America, one which most non-preppers would not be equipped to survive. Not fully grasping what an electromagnetic pulse actually is and how it works has played a substantial role in the development of the two most dangerous myths about EMPs. What exactly is an EMP? An EMP is a short but very strong burst of electromagnetic energy caused by a rapid and intense increase in charged particles in the ionosphere. The acceleration of particles can occur as the result of a solar storm, a nuclear bomb, or even due to a simple yet strong bolt of lightning. Once the ionosphere experiences a a particle surge, a wave of electrical currents emerges and shorts out all modern equipment which needs electricity to function, including the transformers that are necessary to make power grids all around the world work. An EMP disturbance has the capability to not only destroy sensitive electronic equipment, but can even burst power lines, down airplanes, and damage brick and mortar structures. Scientists often refer to EMPs as a transient electromagnetic disturbance. The incidents can be natural disturbances due to solar flares or man-made current used as part of a weapon system. Depending upon the origin of the electromagnetic pulse, a man-made disturbance can stem from an electric radiated conducted electric current or magnetic field. A nuclear EMP attack would be even more devastating than a solar EMP or coronal mass ejection, a CME. Just like tornadoes and hurricanes, there is a classification system for electromagnetic pulses. E1, 
This is the briefest type of electromagnetic pulse disturbance. E1s usually last for, a for barely a microsecond, but are incredibly powerful. The mother of all EMP incidents happens only when electromagnetic pulse weapon has detonated or after a nuclear blast. E2. Although this type of an EMP forms more slowly than an E1 and lasts slightly longer, it can still be caused by a nuclear bomb or a weaponized electromagnetic pulse. Should a man-made attack occur, an E1 blast would likely happen first and then dissipate to or be followed by an E2 level incident. If this happens, the E2 level protection built into sensitive elect electronic equipment and the power grid would already be destroyed by the initial power of the attack. There is currently no protection against an E1 EMP disturbance. E3. The least powerful type of EMP can last hours or even days. This type of electromagnetic pulse happens during fairly routine solar flares. This type that the type that makes our television sets go fuzzy for a while, especially during a summer storm. So EMP myth number one, it can't happen here. Not only can an EMP event happen in America, it already has multiple times. The first known such incident happened in 1859 and has been dubbed the Carrington event when an Earth-directed X-class solar flare hit our planet on the first morning of September. In 1859, the most advanced piece of technology was a telegram. Lines across the country were fried when an EMP disturbance caused by the solar flare happened. Telegram operators of the time reported the paper on their office desk suddenly burst into flames when shocking bolts of electricity flowed through the communication lines. Astronomer Richard Carrington witnessed the devastating EMP unfold through the lens of his telescope. Carrington's documentation of the electromagnetic pulse disturbance prompted the naming of the natural disaster after him. In 1989, a solar flare hit Canada and caused a massive power outage that left about 6 million people in the dark. The electromagnetic pulse was so strong it even knocked out power grid transformers in New Jersey. According to NASA scientists, the Canadian solar flare only boasted about one-third of the strength of the Carrington event solar flare. In 1962, the Starfish Prime Test, conducted by the United States government, occurred and things did not go as planned. A 1.4 megaton nuclear warhead was launched over the Pacific Ocean. The electromagnetic pulses caused by the warhead test were far stronger than the government scientists expected. Street lights almost 1,000 miles away in Hawaii were even damaged by the launch. The impact of the EMP caused by the nuclear test were so massive, the government experts were unable to measure them accurately because the electromagnetic pulses were so strong that they surpassed the power of the gauges they possessed. The test 184 EMP incident was taking place in Russia at the same time as the Starfish Prime test. Few specific details are known about the type of warhead used in the test by the former Soviet Union even to this day but the Russian warhead is believed to have been less powerful than the weapon launched in America. During the test 184, the nuclear warhead was launched 180 miles into the air over Kazakhstan, a 600-mile section of power line that was shielded underground by three feet of dirt was knocked out due to the test, and a multitude of diesel generators were damaged as well. The Earth dodged a big bullet during the summer of 2012 when an X-class Carrington event-sized solar storm brewing in space just barely missed our orbit. The mainstream media barely, if at all, covered the near-miss disaster. 
A teachable moment was missed and allowed hundreds of millions of people to continue to walk about blissfully believing that it can't happen here. Myth. EMP incidents caused by solar flares are believed to have been going on since the beginning of time. Nitrates found in ice cores in Greenland have convinced many scientists solar flares run in cycles and that we are long overdue for a whopper. If Mother Nature does not jettison us back to the Stone Age or at least to an 1800s way of life, our fellow man is capable of doing it, and perhaps on an even more devastating scale. Multiple nations which have declared their hatred for our way of life possess the capability to launch nuclear weapons, which could take down our power grid. EMP myth number two, the government will fix it in a few days. Most people with this mindset have no clue about exactly what the government will have to fix after an EMP attack or natural electromagnetic pulse disaster, or even the true magnitude of the aftermath of such a monumental disaster. The power would not just go off during a power grid failure caused by an EMP attack. It won't come back on without extensive repair of parts that have been stored in an EMP-proof manner and the replacement of all the tech technological equipment used to operate the energy utility. Virtually nothing is made in America anymore. Power grid repair and replacement parts are no exception. If the EMP disturbance hits not only the United States but Europe as well, garnering transformers to fix the power grid would be essentially impossible. The government probably has some transformers tucked away, any maybe stored in an EMP-proof Faraday cage in a warehouse somewhere, but do you want to bet your life on and the life of your family on it? It took FEMA five days to deliver water to the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina and even then did not bring enough to aid all the struggling victims of the natural disaster. When Appalachia experienced a week-long power outage during a 105-degree heat wave six years ago, FEMA arrived on day three. Once again, they did not bring enough water and the bags of ice delivered in a non-refrigerated truck were melting before hundreds of folks in a long line of cars even garnered a single bag. Every item you possess or use as a part of your daily life that is attached to an electrical cord would be fried beyond repair after an EMP attack. Vehicles made after the 1970s would likely stop in their tracks and immediately be stranded and strand its occupants. Vintage vehicles might also fail but could be repaired if the owner had stored spare parts. Water would stop flowing out of your faucets and sanitary sewer systems would cease to function. Wells which run on electricity would also cease to work. Unless and until the rural property owners crafted a manual water retrieval system that could be lowered down into the well. Forget calling 911 for help. Cell phones and landlines will no longer function either. A shortwave radio, if it was stored in a Faraday cage, would be your most advanced means of communication after an EMP disaster. Police officers, firefighters, and paramedics would only be able to roll out the copious amounts of emergency scenes if their vehicles did not contain sensitive electrical components and could be repaired. The first responders would only be able to respond to the needs of their fellow citizens as long as their tanks remained filled by fuel they had stored. Gas pumps run on, on electricity as well. Airplanes, all 7,000 or so of them, which typically fly in the sky above America at any given time, will crash to the ground and cause massive fires after an EMP attack. The electromagnetic pulse will fry the computer flight and guidance systems both in the plane and inside the airport control tower. Hospitals would only remain open until the gas in the emergency generators ran out, which would probably take just a few days to occur. 
Draining fuel from the many useless chunks of metal clogging the roadways will extend the ability of first responders and hospitals to remain in operation a little longer, but only if the local heroes get to the gas tanks of vehicles before the roving hordes of marauders. Boats, tractor trailers, and airplanes will cease to move goods as well. FEMA estimates grocery store shelves would be empty in three days, but in all reality, that will happen in mere hours. What's the worst mistake you can make after an EMP attack? The one place no one should want to be during, during or after an, any type of apocalyptic disaster, especially an EMP attack, is in, a, is in a city. If you find yourself in a metropolitan area after an electromagnetic pulse incident, leave immediately. Do not wait for the government to fix what you thought could never happen. Do not wait for things to return to normal in a few days. It's just not going to happen. Now that Know that right now things will only get worse, far worse, in the days, weeks, and months after a power grid failure. Leaving the city even on foot should be done during the immediate aftermath of the EMP attack when the populace is still stunned and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. We have all watched on television how quickly civil unrest occurs during a riot when people will find out what's really happening and about the devastating long-term effects, there will be chaos. Make no mistake about it, folks. There will be riots, violent ones. Panicked people, both ones who were decent law-abiding citizens before the doomsday disaster and those with a rap sheet as long as your arm will attack a seemingly weaker person over food, water, a warm, dry place to sleep, and even for a pair of gloves or a warm coat. The top seven EMP preparedness areas to master now before the SHTF. Supermarkets. If you are not growing, raising, and preserving your own groceries, you will starve. Stockpile both long-term storage food and heirloom seed for family use and bartering. Pharmacies. Anyone relying on prescription medication will not have a long life expectancy after an EMP attack. Stockpiling medications and natural alternatives is a must for individuals with a chronic or life-threatening health problem. Energy. When the power grid fails, alternate energy sources must be used to keep warm, keep cool, cook, and to boil water after filtering it to make it safe to drink. Stockpile as much firewood, fire starters, and waterproof matches as possible and store it all properly so it does not get wet. Transportation. If you cannot walk to where you need to go or ride a horse or have an EMP-proof bug-out vehicle, you won't be traveling very far. Travel will not be safe during the perhaps months of civil unrest, which will follow an SHTF mega disaster of this sort. Bugging in will enhance your chances of survival. Bug out only if essential and have a detailed plan in place about where you are going and alternate routes to get there, and practice traversing those routes. Fire departments. Fires will wreak havoc on our communities after an EMP disaster. People desperate to get warm and to have light will accidentally cause a plethora of blazes by using heat sources they are unfamiliar with and are not designed for indoor use. And no big red truck will be coming to save you, your home and family as it spreads. Stockpile firefighting basics, especially buckets to relay water to save your home, barn, and stores of food. Volunteer fire departments across the country are typically eager to welcome new recruits and even pay for their training and gear. Educate yourself now and always practice your skill and cross-train others in your family and mutual assistance groups. Police departments. The men and women in blue will surely do their best to help their respective communities, 
but they are only human and have loved ones to protect as well. Those who cannot protect themselves, their families, their homes, and food will lose them all. Learn how to use and stockpile not only all legal firearms and ammunition, but bows, arrows, and reloading equipment as well. Take a gunsmith course or learn via free online videos how to properly clean and repair your firearm. A broken gun or a dirty one which can miss fire or hang fire will not save a single life. And medical care. Learning advanced first aid and natural remedies or forming, joining a mutual assistant group containing medical care professionals of some type will vastly enhance the chances of surviving an EMP attack. Homesteading and survival online and in-person training courses are typically affordable and teach even first aid novices how to deal with routine and medical emergencies. Preparedness expos like the largest hands-on annual event in North Carolina known as Prepper Camp often features medical professionals as presenters who delve far more deeply into advanced first aid and survival medicines techniques. Faraday Cages In 1836, English scientist Michael Faraday invented a cage that could be used as a shield from electromagnetic pulses. The, the electrical charge runs on and around the surface metal of a Faraday cage and prevents the surge from harming the devices inside. While many preppers use metal trash cans with tight fitting lids as Faraday cages because they are relatively cheap and sturdy, metal fencing material or metal mesh sold at your local hardware store can be used as well or a metal pet livestock cage. The denser the metal on the cage, the more protected the electric electronic devices inside will be, will be. Another reason why metal trash cans are often used as Faraday cages. The electronics inside the cage cannot be permitted to touch each other, other, other or the metal cage itself. Line the inner wall of the trash can or cage with cardboard and place a layer or two and place a layer, two is better, or cardboard between each row of electronic devices when stacking them inside the cage. To test a Faraday cage, put, our, put your cell phone inside the... In, sorry. To test a Faraday cage, put your cell phone inside and call the number. If it rings, the cage is not thick enough or insulated enough to prevent damage to, to the device. Will a Faraday cage save electronics during an E1 disturbance? We won't know if the cage can withstand such a substantial electromagnetic surge, but laboratory simulations appear to indicate it could. EMP-proof bug-out vehicles One of my prepping mentors, the survivalist gardener Rick Austin, just finished building an amazing EMP-proof truck. Although Rick and his wife, Survivor Jane, left their lucrative careers in the city for the homesteading way of life and created the ultimate prepper retreat in the mountains of Appalachia, they could still use the monster of a survival truck as a bug-out vehicle if forced to leave their sustainable homestead during a doomsday disaster. The Austins turned the military version of a diesel-powered 1984 Chevy, Chevy Blazer with a military trailer into an EMP-proof bug-out vehicle that will get them pretty much anywhere they need to go, while most of the rest of the world remains on foot. Basically, an EMP-proof vehicle or bug-out vehicle or Tiatwaki vehicle, would have to have no electronics as an EMP could fry any chips, computers, etc., thus rendering the vehicle into a giant paperweight. My Land Rover Discovery 2, for example, has electronics throughout and everything goes through a motherboard that can easily be fried. So even though it is a great all-time four-wheel drive vehicle and can get through tough terrain, it would be absolutely useless after an EMP, Rick Austin said. 
Rick is right. His Land Rover would never start again, no matter how many times you tried to jump it. The popular model SUV would forever be stuck in part. Many folks probably think their gear shifter is simply a mechanical lever, but in most modern vehicles, it is not. As Austin pointed out, the shifter is not linked to the gearbox transmission at all. Sure, you could manually move the gear shifter so the indicator tab physically sits underneath the R or D, but you are still not going to go anywhere. Austin explained that moving the lever only moves an electrical contact so the, so the vehicle's computer learn what gear to actuate. So, with no electronics, you can't even get the vehicle into neutral to roll it down and jumpstart it, Rick added. Any bug-out vehicle should have a lot of capacity to carry your family and your stuff and ought to be four-wheel drive so it can get you through bad weather and into places where you may have to go off-road to avoid bad situations, traffic jams, and bad people. When deciding to embark on such a massive EMP preparedness project, pay keen attention to the type of fuel the vehicle requires in order to function. Gasoline will go bad about after about 12 months. Pouring stabilizer into storage containers helps, but does not extend the life of the gasoline for extensive long-term use. Austin notes gas can be scavenged after an SHTF disaster, but aptly added that gasoline will also eventually become too old to use and turn what was intended to be a Tiawaki vehicle into a giant paperweight. Diesel fuel will maintain its usable properties far better than gasoline. An EMP-proof bug-out vehicle with a diesel engine can run on a myriad of alternative fuels. Rick and Jane Austen's truck can easily run on either kerosene, vegetable oil, or a host of other alternative forms of fuel already being used in diesel engines around the world. During the vehicle selection process, do your homework about available parts as well. Parts for Ford and Chevy models appear to be the most readily available, at an affordable price from dealers. The older the vehicle, the more difficult and expensive it may be to find parts. Do not buy any vehicle older than 1990 or risk being saddled with an immobile bug out vehicle after an EMP fries the sensitive electronics. I'm thinking there like when she says older than 1990, I'm assuming she's uh, or the person who's writing the article is saying uh, 1992 current. Uh, you do want to go older um, because they're referencing sensitive electronics. Um, so just FYI on that one. Size definitely matters when choosing what type of truck or SUV to prep for an EMP bug out vehicle. It must be large enough to carry not only your beloveds, but also spare tires, hand tools, shovels, prim primitive camping equipment, cooking equipment, medical supplies, basically everything you need to survive. Because if you are fleeing your home after an electromagnetic pulse attack, you are probably never coming back. All right, so like I said, it's a long article. There's, uh, there's comments there that you can go and check out. Um, not a lot of links in the, um, not a lot of links in the article itself. Um, a few of them in there. There are, like I said, comments there. Um, let me just give a few comments. I know it was long. Um, if you have an EMP-proof EMP vehicle, more than likely, if you're driving around, you are going to be a target. And so just remember that. Um, I, right now, that's not something that I would... I mean, if I had an old vehicle, an old-timey vehicle, uh, you know, without a lot of, you know, money into it, um, yeah, that would be fine. I, I'd love to have something like that, just for the, the fact of, you know, that it was, you know, a classic. But uh, pouring money into it, uh, I don't know if I would do that because, um, like I said, I, I think that you would very, very easily get to a point where um, 
where people would just take it away from you. Um, people would find out that you have it and they would want to come and take it away from you or or uh, whatever. So uh, something to consider there. A lot of things to think about. Uh, if an EMP um, happens, um, more than likely, you know, if you bug out, hopefully your if your plan is to bug out, you're bugging out to somewhere where you know is already set up. Because if you're bugging out and you don't have it set up, you're just you're going into nothing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we've never been in a situation like this. We've never we've never experienced this. So who knows what it would be like? Um, I, I know that if uh, in any kind of disaster, if you're going to make a move, you would want to make a move before other people get wind of what's going on. Um, but uh, so some people look at this, especially in the preparedness community, they look at EMPs and, and those kinds of things, and it's like, man, that's really kind of fantasy stuff. Um, but again, like I like I said earlier, the thing that got me thinking about this was that solar flare kill shot that um, fortunately went the opposite way of Earth. Um, but you know, if it would have come come our way, would have been even uh, suspicious observer. You know, Ben, who's on there, says that if it would have been headed our way, I would have been uh, recommending that you go to the store and buy supplies. You know, and I've never really, in the years that I've listened to him, I might have missed a couple, you know, I might have missed some of his videos, but I've never heard him mention something like that before. And he's pretty even keel. So, um, you know, a lot of things to think about, um, you know, EMPs, CMEs, solar flares, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, very possible. There, there is, um, it's, it's possible, probable, you've got to weigh it compared to all the other things, right? You can't just... Uh, focus on the EMP like it's going to happen today or, or tomorrow but uh, you need to be thinking a little bit about it have some some plans uh, put in place and and uh, you know process through a little bit um, there was um, there was an incident that I read uh, my dad had told me about it and I went and I found an article and I believe I linked it on prepper website but I'm gonna to have to go look for it but I'm not 100% sure um, where um, there was uh, some uh, American soldiers, or Navy, I'm sorry, American uh, Navy soldiers, Navy uh, sailors, who um, mentioned that they were out in, uh, and I can't remember what sea it was in, but there was uh, a Russian ship that kind of buzzed them, and after they buzzed them, they lost all electronics. And so it was kind of like this, uh, this plane or this jet had uh, like a, an EMP device that was aimed towards the ship. And it was this big old ship, and it freaked out a lot of people. Um, I haven't heard too much about that uh, after that, but I'll go see if I can find that article and I'll link to it. Um, you know, but that would be something, right? If uh, there was, uh, you know, destroyers and big ships and nuclear and all that kind of stuff out there and, uh, you know, an enemy... Uh, with just a, a fighter jet could could uh, fly close to it and hit it with an EMP blast and would uh, you know kill uh, actually it killed all the electronics for like uh, 30 minutes or an hour something like that and so they were like sitting ducks for that time so if you're nuclear I don't know if that I mean if you that, you know you would start melting down at that time the nuclear reactors would start melt, melting down uh, if if they got you at that point so. Uh, something to consider there. I mean, and and of course, uh, somebody in the comments said, you know, no uh, EMP articles don't ever talk about all the nuclear reactors that would melt down. Yeah, if the lights went out uh, and uh, there wasn't, uh, 
you know the uh, the generators on um, these nuclear plants that they weren't fed co you know constantly you know the diesel or whatever they run on uh, yeah eventually they would run out and they would melt down and that would cause a whole another set of issues uh, for uh, for that area uh, especially all along uh, the Mississippi there's a bunch of nuclear I mean that way would probably just kill everything in the new in the Mississippi all the way down to the Gulf so um, anyway uh, I'm going really really long on that one alright so let's go ahead and move on to the next one uh, trueprepper.com it comes to us from trueprepper.com and this article is the basic emergency plan the foundation of preparedness there is a download here that you can go download it so if you want to uh, work through some preparedness plans you can do that so let's go ahead and start reading this one a basic emergency plan is where prepping starts it is the catch-all plan for all daily problems and personal emergencies we all face they are very easy to make and communicate to the rest of your family it is just a three-step process to keep you and your family safe during an emergency we've also set up an easy to use template to print off and use feel free to share the template with your friends and family to make sure they are prepared for the worst. Step 1. Know your threats. Basic emergencies are almost a unilateral threat to every household. You will want to at least prepare for fire, home invasions, and power outages. Check out our true risk index to find threats categories, to find threat categories that can affect you and your family based on our weighted risk assessments. Your location can affect your risk level for most natural disasters, so conducting your own risk assessment can be very helpful. Step 2. Assign responsibility. In your plan, you need to detail out various responsibilities and who is accountable for them. Be sure to assign each person in your family or group a responsibility, even if it is small, a small one. Having a purpose in an emergency can be beneficial to anyone affected. Even a small pre-assigned task can help family members not freeze up or act unpredictably. Step 3. Practice the plan. Practice makes perfect or at least it helps you avoid a family disaster when an emergency happens. Learn the potential hiccups and pitfalls of your plan before you have to use it when it matters. Don't get caught off guard by a poorly communicated change. Keep everyone up to date when you first make the plan and with every change. Make sure everyone knows where the plan is kept and has access to it in an emergency. Filling in the basic emergency plan template. Now that we have covered the basic steps, we'll go over how to fill out the template. First, you will need to download and print the template. It is a quick three-page PDF that broadly covers what you need to review for your basic emergency plan. Here is the download link. Page 1, Contact Information. Fill in your last name and home address and your date and, you are, and the date you are revising your plan. Fill in your family info, including yourself. Put the main contact at the top line. The name field is for your family name or what you go by. The best phone to reach you, usually a cell phone. Your blood type and any extra descriptions, medical information or special needs. I typically include allergy information in this area, even though it is redundant with your medical files. Pet information is a straightforward list of all your pets whether you plan to evacuate with or without them we will get to that in a later section fill in your outside emergency contact this should be a trustworthy person that doesn't live in the same place as you fill in any school or daycare information as applicable and you should have the entire first page filled out page two the action plan 
The action plan is easy to fill out once you get it going. First, you will need to write down the threats that you are specifically preparing for. List escape routes from your home to your outside gathering area as best you can and attach a map with a drawing if you are able to. List your local evacuation points where you will meet if there is a fire or localized disaster at your house. List your dis distant evacuation points or bug out location, whether you will meet if there is a regional or geographical disaster or emergency. Describe the route you will take to get to your bug out location. Attach a map. Attaching a map is extremely helpful. Describe the alternate route you will take to get to your bug out location. Again, attaching a map is a good idea. Consider possible road blockage and other risks you could encounter that you will force you to use this route. Select a room in your house as you designated, designate, designated shelter and place room. Record its location and attach a supply list according to your home needs. Select a room in your house as your designated panic room. It can be the same as the shelter and place room if it is convenient and works well. The panic room should be a lockable room with supplies and weapons available. Again, attach a supply list to the basic emergency plan. Add any additional action plans, drawings, or supply lists. Pet evac evacuation plans are great to add to this section if needed. We are ready to move to the last page, Responsibilities. Page 3, Responsibilities. Responsibilities are easy. If you live alone, you are responsible for everything. If you have a family, you want to split up responsibilities so that nothing slips through the cracks. Not only will you have accountability, but it helps your family feel involved and invested in their safety and security. Whether you assign family members or take volunteers, the decision is up to you. You know your family's limitations and everyone should know that you are all relying on each other. Assign a family member to inventory and maintain all survival kits. This responsibility entails a lot of work and attention to detail. Kits need to be reviewed, often for expired or used up items. This family member will need to be able to purchase supplies to replenish and grow kits and supplies. You can split up the responsibility between the different kits, but be sure to note who is responsible for what. Assign a family member to keep track of all communication equipment. Charging, testing, and knowing how to use it, use it all is the, in, the wheel, in the wheelhouse of this responsibility. You can pick someone that doesn't know how to use them to teach them a valuable skill. Just make sure they are a fast learner. Assign a family member to keep medical files and retrieve them before any evacuation. Assign a family member to keep financial files and retrieve them before any evacuation. Card numbers, copies of ID cards, and, uh, and other information and identification files should be in this category. Typically, we lump the medical and financial duties together, but you may see fit to split the duties. Assign a family member to be in charge of pet information and files, and assign a family member to review the plan with family members on a timeline. Set, set a future plan review date and mark your calendars to review this plan again. Add additional responsibilities or review information in the area provided. For instance, you may want to assign a responsibility to check on an older neighbor in the event of a localized disaster. The family members assigned to the plan review section should file that plan in a lockbox or safe where all individuals know how to obtain it. The basic emergency plan is meant to be a review to get everyone on the same page before a disaster and then provide additional support if needed. It does contain a wealth of information that can be used to an intruder, so treat it as the sensitive information that it is. A basic emergency plan can save you and your loved ones lives. Feel free to share our template with your friends and family to make sure they are prepared for the worst. 
The basic emergency plan template paired with a fire extinguisher or other safety and security gear makes a great housewarming gift. Keep exploring, stay prepared, and be safe. All right. So I think one of the biggest um, advantages to the emergency plan and in working through some of those things is just so that people are aware and know uh, what's going on and know that there is a plan. And if you want to get down to the, to the business of dividing up responsibilities and those kinds of things and checking kits and, and, and all that, I mean, that's definitely something that, you know, you know, um, you know, you know if that's, if that's needed. But I think the, the great advantage to something like this is to get the conversation going, is to talk about it, is that people w would know what to do, um, you know, revisiting on a regular basis, uh, what to do. You know, make it, make it something that could be fun, right? And so um, if your family usually doesn't go out to eat or something like that or uh, don't like buy, you know, buy pizza one night and have everyone sit around the family table and you're talking about this. You know, this is going to be our, our uh, you know, family preparedness, uh, you know, discussion night. And you do that once a quarter or, or something like that where you discuss those types of things. But you're doing it around something fun, uh, eating pizza or, you know, something along those lines where you have everyone at the table and you make it kind of, uh, you know, interesting in that, in that side, in that, in that way. But anyway, uh, to get you talking about uh, emergency, go go check that out. You might want to download the template and see if that's something you want to uh, to use for your preparedness. It definitely wouldn't hurt. And uh, if someone's creating a template like that, uh, free PDF, you, know, you, you definitely want to go check that out. So that's over at TruePrepper.com. All right, our last article is, comes to us from PreparednessAdvice.com, and it's seven reasons to bug out in the first wave. Now, I've, uh, I've always talked about this. I mean, this is why I stay aware. Um, if I needed to bug out, I want to be aware to, uh, you know, I don't want to be surprised. I don't want things to start happening. I mean, definitely if the big one happened, like we already talked about EMP, CMEs today, uh, if they're nuclear, you know, those kinds of things, you wouldn't be able to do anything about it. But if, uh, you know, financial stuff was going on, financial collapse was going on, if societal uh, collapse was going on, um, you know, pandemic started and it started to, to move uh, you know, and jump, you know, nations and, and different countries and different things like that. And then you would have a little bit of time to, uh, to know, a little bit of a window to, uh, to get things going, right? So let's go ahead and read this one. Uh, again, seven reasons to bug out in the first wave. One of the mo more challenging decisions you may be faced with is when to bug out. A lot of us who consider ourselves seasoned preppers with a good number of survival skills must be might be tempted to wait until the last minute because we're not convinced the situation is so dire that we couldn't survive. Also admit it, we don't want to look foolish in front of our friends and neighbors if the crisis turns out to be a big fat nothing burger. However, if any of the following scenarios are a part of your life, it would be prudent to be in the first wave of people heading out of town. Number one, you have a loved one with special needs. Recently, I became acquainted with a middle-aged single lady who lives with her elderly parents. Her father has dementia and her mother has mobility and health issues. She herself uses a CPAP machine. I wondered if this family would make it if they ever had to evacuate their home or city as they live deep in hurricane country. Packing up medical equipment, remembering which prescriptions to pack, and then getting refills if necessary, and helping elderly and ailing loved ones into a vehicle is going to take time along with energy and physical strength. 
If you are prepping with special needs family members, you need to read the series of articles over on the Survival Mom blog. Number two, there's a baby in the family. Similar scenario when I think of the road trips we took with our kids when our kids were little, the logistics were nearly mind-boggling. The strollers, toys, and other diversions, the travel cribs, diapers, breastfeeding paraphernalia, blankets, clothes, and, and the even more clothes. The list goes on and on. You can't fully pack what you need to evacuate when you have an infant unless you have plenty of time. In that case, start your bug out prepping a few days before you think you might actually need to leave. You can read more about prepping with babies here. Number three, you have kids. Infants or not, kids are going to slow you down, guaranteed. When they're little, they won't be able to find their left shoe or they have a meltdown because it's time to watch Sesame Street. When they're older, they're going to argue and question everything. Why do we have to leave now? Can I take my best friend? I have to text my girlfriend or boyfriend first. And on and on and on. Then, once you hit the road, there will be frequent potty stops. You need to burn off some of that energy stops. And before you know it, you've been on the road 8 hours and have driven only 100 miles. So yes, if you have kids, plan on bugging out at least a couple of days earlier than you might otherwise. Number 4. You have nowhere to go. Think about it. If you wait too long to evacuate, you'll be competing with thousands of other people for scarce hotel rooms, campsites, etc. If you don't have any bug out location in mind, and let's face it, that applies to most preppers, then by getting out on the road early, you'll have first dibs at the best locations. By the way, take a look at sites like Airbnb and Vacation Rentals by Owner for places to stay in a pinch. Both require deposits of varying types and dollar amounts. But if you really do have nowhere else to go and don't care to live out in the wilderness with the wife and all the kids, these might be a much better option. This book by the survival mom has a list of some very creative bug out location options and expert advice for planning an evacuation number five there's a chance you may not be able to return for a very long time in this case you'll need time to pack several months worth of supplies not necessarily months worth of food you can buy more wherever you're headed but you'll want to pack clothes for different seasons Maybe homeschooling supplies and important documents, marriage license, professional resume, certifications for future employment, medical records, birth certificates, insurance policies, financial papers, etc. You may also want to liquidate such things as, as insurance policies, retirement funds, and investments and possibly sell things to add to your cash stash. Whenever you end up, you'll need funds to survive until you can get another job. All this is going to take a good deal of time, so once you've made the decision that you'll need to leave and maybe be gone for many weeks, get started and then move out. You have pets and or livestock to care for. On one cross-country move, we had four cats that had, and an elderly incontinent dog with us. Good times. It wasn't easy to find hotels that were that pet friendly, and we had to make sure we packed their food, water, food dishes, disposable litter boxes, and litter. Abandoning our animals is unthinkable. First, I'd have to fight off the kids and wife, but second, and more importantly, those animals then become someone else's problems, and that isn't fair to anyone. If you have animals to consider, then you need to make those plans and preps right now to either take them with you or find somewhere for them to stay until the emergency has passed. And number seven, you're going to be part of a larger caravan. The more, the more people who are involved in anything, the more likely there will be delays. We learned this with the sports team carpool recently. All it took was for one kid or one parent to wake up a few minutes late or unable to find their uniform to make the whole lot of us to arrive late to practice. This truth is going to be multiplied exponentially when your group is under extreme duress. 
This bugging out isn't a rehearsal. It's the real deal. You can bet a paycheck that once adrenaline sets in, some won't be thinking straight. Mistakes will be made. Arguments over minutia will slow everything down. So as soon as you and yours are all set to go, head over to the group's meetup place, even if you arrive a few days early. As always, the big question is, how do you know when it's time to bug out? You may want to head over to our partner blog, The Survival Mom, and read this series of articles about when you know it's time to bug out, as advised by folks such as Jim Cobb, James Rawls, Claire Wolf, The Apartment Prepper, and a dozen or so others. This article by Howard Codfrey contains more good advice. So that article over at Survival Mom, uh, that last one was a series of articles. Uh, I did contribute to that one. Uh, It's a little older, um, 2013, but I did have Prepper website and Ed That Matters at that time. So, um, you know, that is something that you can go uh, check out. Uh, Interesting to hear from all the different people that that have websites and what they think, um, you know, would be uh, a trigger point. But uh, a lot of things to consider today. Um, More along the lines is time to think things through. And, uh, you know, what would you do? How would you do things? Maybe you need to put some things in place. You know, maybe there's some things that you need to, you've been on the fence about preparedness. Uh, maybe you've, you've thought about things when you've read an article or maybe you've heard something or, or a book or something like that. But maybe you need to put some hard, uh, hard plans in place where your family would know exactly what, you know, needs to happen. Um, so like, you know, you have a fire. If there's a fire in the, in the house, uh, people know to you know to go out and meet in a certain area. Um, that should be you know common sense for every for every home. But uh, you might want to put those kinds of uh, types of plans in place for preparedness as well. You know what would we do here? What would we do here? Kind of running through those things, quizzing quizzing your family members or your kids. Um, you know if they're if they're old enough not to uh, uh, if they're old enough not to freak out, right? You know and, and not to worry them and give them all kinds of bad dreams. I mean, some people would, would, uh, would not want to do that. Definitely. All right. So, uh, like I said, you go check out, uh, preparednessadvice.com. This article, there are links. There's a lot of links in here that you'll go, you'll want to go check out and a few comments in the comment section. All right. Well, that's it for, uh, for episode 111, starting off a new week. Um, hope you do have a good week. So, uh, as we go, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.